Welcome, dear listener, to Astonishing Tales of the Highly Improbable. I'm your host, Lloyd Allen, and this is the New Albion Orchestra. Happy things. Let us be happy together. Oh no, no more sorrow for me, no more anger, no more sadness. No, that's all behind me now. Now there is acceptance. Yes, acceptance. I shall not wallow any longer in despair and pity. Oh, no. Why, it is a happy day today. I have things to do. I have a plan. A great, big, wonderful plan. A special episode of the New Albion Radio Hour. A very... Very special episode of the New Albion Radio Hour. Oh, how special. It will take some preparation, perhaps even a few years, but something to work towards is good for the soul. Yes, a nice plan is just what the doctor ordered. I bring gifts of peace. You, who are listening to this, young little impressionable thing, I bring you gifts of peace, sweet, sweet peace. What a terrible world you live in, oh, so terrible. I can help you with it, help you out of it. Make all your troubles go away. You want to change the world? Of course you do. What nice young pup doesn't want to change the world for the better? Well, I'm going to help you with that. We will change this world together. Yes, we shall. With fire and devastation, we will rid this city of all its troubles and woes. All of your worries shall be cleansed. Yea, your prophet has arrived to wash away the sins of this city. The passion of Lloyd shall sweep across the face of iniquity and wipe it clean, clean of all evil and pain and suffering and life, until only sweet peace remains. The wicked shall be annihilated. Join me. Together we shall leave nothingness in our wake. The fire shall cleanse and burn until lonely peace remains. And in the sweet, sweet burning fires of righteousness, 
We shall laugh and sing and dance, dance, dance as it burns, 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 all of it burns away. Oof. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but, but still, there is much to prepare. A very special episode of the New Albion Radio Hour, indeed. Let us look forward to it. I know I will. And now, today's story. The Promethean Lodge was made up of Percy, Davish, Jan, and William. Manuscripts have been written about them, but most of these are lost. There is thought to be some in the files of the Order of the Bleeding Rose, something in the vaults of the Decadent Abbey, maybe something collected by the Zodiac Lodge, and rumors of a manuscript hidden away somewhere by a young Lloyd Allen. It is believed that Percy made a record that covers the next few years of the group, including the addition along the way of a woman named Cola, who it is theorized is an ancestor of Asha. While Cola came in fairly early, it was still down the road from the small group's initial plight. There are not many scholars in this subject and this history, but all that there are agree that none of the Lodge were actual transcendents in these early days. They had devised a ritual capable of crossing boundaries by almost accident. They had no idea how it actually worked or how to control it, and they were not, not even William, what some would call post-humans. This can be attested to in the group's next few jumps. The morning after their stay at the tavern in the vampire narrative, they ran to the space from which they had come to repeat the ritual. It was in use, however, by a group of devout, dark, homicidal nuns. They had to wait until much later in the day when the nuns cleared out in order to perform the hour-long ritual. It worked, but to the group's disappointment, as you can probably already guess, it did not take them home. It took them to a place very much like the one they had just left. They ended up at the same bar, but the bartender was different and had never seen them before. They quickly asked him if there were any vampires in this place, and he replied that of course there weren't, vampires were fiction. The only thing they had to worry about was werewolves, and he recommended that they stay inside during the blood hour. It went on like this. The next jump was to zombies, then soul-sucking ghosts, then crocodile men, then ten-legged demon spiders. Each time, the civilization surrounding them was more and more devastated, and they knew they had to figure out how to change up their jumping path before they finally jumped into a world that would kill them. They stayed in the small room above the tavern in the Demon Spider narrative for several days until their money finally ran out. William and Davish desperately attempted to streamline the ritual, which was taking far too long, and figure out how it worked and how to tweak it. But money was an issue. They had none. It may seem fun to just teleport into a foreign city, but when you do so flat broke, it can actually be a headache. 
There was no possible way they were going to stay in any of these horrible narratives long enough to seek and gain employment, which left the concept of thievery. This may have been beneath them at first, but after you spent some time running frantically down narrow alleyways in a dark foreign city being chased by crocodile men, you'll find what you're willing to do opens wide up. When you essentially teleport to a completely different world, it seems fairly obvious that the trick is to grab something incredibly valuable and then pop away. This, however, isn't very practical when the act of popping away takes an hour and seems to rely on an annoying amount of chanting and choreography. They debated solutions. What if three of them performed the ritual up until a certain point while the fourth shoplifted something of great value and ran back to the group, arriving just in time for the jump? A nice idea, but too risky, assuming the ritual would work with only three of them. Or maybe only work for the three of them, leaving the fourth stranded. It was Jan who came up with the idea of locking themselves in a bank vault. Whether it was a bank vault specifically came to be superfluous. The principle of the idea was fairly sound. If they could be locked inside somewhere with something valuable, like gold, which would translate into value across narratives, they didn't have to worry about getting out. Locked in overnight, they could fill their pockets, perform the ritual, and be gone before anyone appeared in the morning to catch them. None of them had any experience in thievery. They couldn't hope to gain access to anywhere where serious wealth was kept. Percy suggested a candlestick shop. This was a fine idea. Many candlesticks were made of silver and could be pawned at the next world. None of them could pick a lock. Their only hope was to break a window or a door. In the end, William shimmied up to the roof, dropped down, and let the others in. They grabbed the most expensive-looking silver candlesticks they could find. It was then, however, that the clerk, Cola, who slept in the back room, which the owner rented to her at a horribly unfair price, came out to see what was happening. The men were startled and horrified, but begged her not to call anyone and explained to her their situation. She didn't exactly believe them, but asked if she could come with them anyway. They tried to talk her out of it, telling her their situation was a terrible one, but she in turn told them that her life here sucks so badly that teleporting to different horror story dimensions could only be an improvement. They started to ask her just how bad her life could possibly be, but it was prudent that they get on their way. Thus, Cola joined them. The next world was the most different yet. The city they appeared in was in ruins, destroyed in the war between the Sleestack and the giant barbarian fleas. They found a market that still functioned, its few stalls containing squalid and rotting vegetables. They bought as much food as they thought would keep for a few days and ended up in an unused warehouse where they worked on streamlining the ritual. Jan became ill. They tried to wait out his fever, but after a few days became concerned that he needed a doctor. So they did the next jump. William and Davish had gotten the ritual down to a 20-minute running time. All within the performance space would jump, but they had to assume poses. The poses had to reflect archetypes. Archetypes seemed to be the entire key to the process, and William was convinced he could streamline the ritual down further 
to mere minutes if he could work out how to get the participants to, in a single pose, embody their respective archetypes as fundamentally as possible. The jumps from here on, however, went drastically downhill. Even Cola eventually agreed that her old life did not suck as much as she had previously thought. They were unable to stay in any place for long. They seemed to be moving in a bad direction, each place clearly progressing to some awful final stop, but they hadn't a clue how to change course. Jan was not improving and was in fact dying. After several more hurried jumps through dangerous, war-torn realities, they finally landed somewhere altogether different. They jumped to a land devoid of anything. It looked like some horror had befallen long ago and long since destroyed even itself so that nothing remained, just barren, red, rocky desert. It was hot. Off in the distance, there looked like some kind of tear in the world, some rip in the sky and in the ground, and some great thing that had fallen through the gash, laying now in ruins far, far off. Jan finally died. They tried to bury him, but the ground was so rocky they couldn't even manage to dig, and in frustration they started to cry until they each fell to the ground in tears of frustration and despair. Cola turned her back respectfully, wandered off a bit in order to give them some space. And that is why they didn't see the cave. That is why they didn't see what came out of the cave. That is why they didn't see the gnomes. The gnomes appeared out of nowhere, poured over the weary travelers, and took them, William, Percy, Davish, and Cola. They carried them underground, where they stuck them in a cell, except for Davish, who was taken somewhere else. Soon, they would hear his screams. They were not alone in the cell. In the corner sat three creatures that looked like giant rats. Rats that walked upright. Rats that looked like hell, like they had been here too long and had been tortured too often. After some time, one of the rats approached William sadly. It raised its hand and touched his head. It stood there for minutes, nodding every now and then, and finally it removed its hand and spoke. I am sorry you are here. I am sorry you have become lost in an unfortunate narrative succession. If you escape here, you must learn transcendence. Who are you? William asked. What is happening here? Where's our friend? The rat shook his head sadly. Your friend is not likely to survive the probing they are now doing upon him. We haven't much time. I will tell you things, and then you will kill me, and you will escape. I will send you to a world where you can seek help. You will relay a message to the dwarves there, who will in turn relay the message to others of our kind. They will be told that we are no more, but I have asked that you be initiated into transcendence. William stammered, but how, how... Hush, you must listen now. 
Our people were a great one. We had long since left our home and moved out into the greater metaverse. We tried to tame it, to settle it. We built great byways and stations and things whose purpose you could not understand if I explained it. But by cutting ourselves off from our biological home strand, we had cut ourselves away from our own natural order. Our evolution started to go haywire. We were devolving even before the chaostrophe. We had ambassadors in the upper dimensions who saw the coming of the storm first and sent us warnings. But what could warnings do? The chaostrophe ravaged like an apocalypse. The upper levels knew carnage like they had never seen. Down here, the metaverse bled and ripped asunder. So many strands destroyed. So many narratives laid waste and annihilated. Wars broke out. Armies marched. Entire dimensional ecosystems transformed into terrible, raging things. We fought. We were still mighty. Still many. We fought alongside gods and demons and bio-consciousnesses. We died. We suffered. We fell. But in the end, we pushed the chaostrophe back. There are those who say there is a level at which it is still raging strong, but practically frozen. This dimension's time moves so slow we cannot feel the effects yet. But this rumor is from a species I do not know and do not trust. So much we had built was brought down. In the case of this world, one of our watchtowers fell into it, ripped a tear into it. It lays half in this strand, half outside in metaspace. This tear was, of course, noticed by the native inhabitants here, these gnomes. They pilfered the tower, studied everything about it and the tear that they could, took our technology, tried to learn it and adapt it. They have done many odd things to it and with it, but they cannot master it. So they set off a beacon, a beacon which called a small team, me and my companions, to come see. We were captured. We were interrogated and tortured. Two of us are dead. Up until recently, we have not told them much, but they are learning how to infiltrate our minds, and we cannot resist much longer. They covet our species' achievements. They will leave this world, and will try to forge an empire that will stretch across the metaverse, an empire built on domination and subjugation. You must warn the others. Though, though we are weak and weary... Someone must stand against them, and we are all there is. None of the other powerful races are left, none that I know of, except the dwarves. They will carry the message to the others of our kind. We are few and fallen, but we must fight again. At this moment, Jan began screaming. The rat continued, I am sorry for your friend, they experiment upon him. He has no useful information, so they will see what use they can make of him. Our companion, before he died, he broke, and they took knowledge from him. They, they know things now they did not before. They will leave this barren world. Warnings must be given. 
You must kill us. I will show you how. There are designs you must paint onto the ground in our blood. This will open a portal, and through it you must go. In the next strand, you must find the dwarves at the center of the world. They will take the message from there. When the message is delivered, one of my kind will honor our pact. They will find you. They will teach you the transcendence ritual. It will make your ability to move around the metaverse easier, and although I cannot be sure how your species reacts to it, it should give you great potential for great abilities, although I cannot guess their exact nature. Your species, I can see from your mind, is interesting, although a bit immature and therefore dangerous. Perhaps we should study you more closely. I have not spent much time at your end of the metaverse. It was barely noticeable before the Chaostrophe, but now, of course, is one of the few corners that is left. Jan's house continued. The rat showed William, Cola, Percy, and Davish what to do. Thus, they killed the rats and drew sigils with their blood, and thus did they jump yet again. And now, the sounds of a cat being horribly mutilated, or even worse, whatever this musician person deems to torture you with today. I hear the crying of the hungry in the deserts where they're wandering Hear the crying out for heaven's own benevolence upon them Hear destructive power prevailing I hear fools falsely hailing to the crooked wits of tyrants when they call I hear them all, I hear them all, I hear them all I hear the sounds of tearing pages and the roar of burning paper All the crimes and acquisitions turned to air and ash and vapor And the rattle of the shackle far beyond emancipator And the lowliest to gather in their stalls I hear them all, I hear them all, I hear them all so while you sit and whistle Dixie with your money and your power I can hear the flowers growing and the rubbles of the towers I hear leaders quit their lying, I hear babies quit their crying I hear soldiers quit their dying one and all I hear them all, I hear them all, I hear them all I hear the tender words from Zion, I hear Noah's waterfall Hear the gentle lamb of Judah sleeping at the feet of Buddha And the prophets from Elijah to the old Payubavoka Take their places at the table when they're called I hear them all, I hear them all, I hear them all I hear them all, I hear them all, I hear them all I hear them all, I hear them all, I hear them all